They're a little bit loose, a little bit unstrung, and they've probably had a few beers beforehand. Please welcome Matt Crummins and Tom Fancy Pants Puck with yet another episode of Matt and Tom's Excellent Adventure. Good afternoon, good morning, and good evening to everybody who's joined us on this very special podcast. Why is it special? Because um, you are here, and I'd like to welcome good old Matthew, Maddie, Matt Crummins to yet another episode of Matt and Tom's Excellent Podcast. Hello, Matthew. How did you find out my real name? <laughs> did I did a bit of Google lessons? searching beforehand. I oh. paid a, a um, you know, a private investigator just to do a little bit of background on you because we've been working on this podcast for a little while now, and I thought I really don't know you, so I should probably find out a little more. So, yep. Oh, just sometimes I don't even know myself. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you can't, can't find yourself, can you? You just get lost. No. No. Lucky I'm um, here to keep you on the, um, you know, the, the uh, what do we call it? Straight and narrow. Straight and narrow. I don't think that's true for your case. Yeah. I don't think that's it at all. You're, you're the furthest thing from straight and narrow. I am very clean cut, I'll have you believe. Mm, yeah. I mean, I have seen your shaved chest a few times come through <laughs> on my iPhone. So you're right. No, you're clean cut. Yeah. Clean cut and clean shaving are two different things, though. <laughs> yeah, I get myself into shape for BFOP 2023, don't I? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, some real, yeah. That, yeah, we've, I've heard a rumor about oh. you at BFOP 2024. Whatever. Yeah. I have not even, what, what, what's the rumor, Matthew? No, I, well, I, no, I'm not going to tell you because it's a secret and it's very, it's a surprise. <laughs> um, it is very exciting, I think. I think lots of people, Lots of people would would want to be there for this, but anyway, that's that's not this year. That's next year, apparently. Okay. Very exciting stuff. That's yeah. that's very cryptic, very intriguing. Yep. Fair enough. That sounds but interesting. I say, um, Mary is also invited to Beef Up twenty twenty four. Obviously, always invited, but specifically twenty twenty four. Very important that she's there. I'm worried. I am extremely worried. This doesn't. This doesn't sound good. I think it, it does. It's it's. It, I think it's a real positive positive. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. All right. So, hey, what have you been up to? Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. We are late on this podcast. We were supposed to be fortnightly, and you said you gave me the you gave me such a rev up at the start of this year, and said, "Come on, Tom. If we're going to do this podcast, you have to do it seriously, and we've really got to make it valuable for those who are listening." And I said, "Yes, Matthew. Okay." And then I was willing to do one last week. You know what? I paid a video engineer, a sound engineer. Um, to to fit out my car, we were going to do one of those carpool podcasts. Remember last mm. week, I, yep, you were going to come come to Deakin. We were going to meet up. We were going to drive around aimlessly for an hour or so, talk shit, and we were going to record it on the videos so that people could watch it on YouTube's and etc. And who pulls out at the last minute? Yep, guilty. Guilty is charged. Guilty as charged. Mm. Um, and that it wasn't specifically to do with your driving track record either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an excellent driver. Are you? Because, well, I think you're, you might be an excellent driver, but you do make some odd decisions. I do remember talking to you on the phone once, and I think I was on the phone to you anyway, but you, when you're driving back from, uh, from, from uh, Flinders Ranges or something like that on the Unadatta track in your tin can mobile and I, the whole I, thing was just shaking to pieces because you didn't let the tires down over the corrugations true this is true that yes yes so I, yes so just, just throwing what? it out there it's got nothing to do with my driving ability that's just me being a little reckless with my vehicle in anyway. <laughs> i don't know i kind of put that in the same category like if i said to someone hey do you want to come driving with this person they're a really good driver but they're totally reckless with their vehicle i feel like most people would be like mm, i'm probably pass." But you know what? You're right. I should have been there. I didn't get there. It was my fault. Um, it, I'm going to say it's the weather's fault, but anyway, it's my fault. And um, I'm sorry, everyone. You will but make I'd it. Like to th- well, yeah, I want you to apologise to the listenership. You know, I've been getting abusive emails from and, and text messages from people saying, what's happened to the podcast? You, you're behind. Hurry up. All the rest of it. And I've been taking the heat for you. I call it anticipation, but you know, <laughs> just building the anticipation. And well, realistically, isn't that how you know people are listening? Is you, if you just don't, if you stop publishing it 
do people even care? And obviously they do. So you're right. We absolutely, um, we absolutely should be doing this. I think we're in the right place, the right town. Yeah. Let's hope that we live up to people's expectations on this wonderful podcast. You haven't asked what I've been up to. Well, because everyone bloody knows what you're up to all the time. All you do is post photos and videos of far too close-up selfies of you all over the planet. Where was it this time? Oh, you know exactly. I couldn't do it. I, for those, those who don't know, I just spent three amazing weeks in, in Africa and I couldn't do many selfie videos because you're not allowed out of the car to do them in the first place. And I wasn't going to do it sitting in the car. So no, was it a car or a safari thing. truck? Was it an open well, safari you know, truck? Yeah. Well, we did a bit of that and a bit of closed stuff as well to get around also. So oh. I'm the pop up roofs. I want to get you one of those um the selfie sticks, the three meter long selfie sticks. Because well, then you be could have you could you could have poked it out the window and filmed the entire car. You could have done like a you could have done the whole like Tom in cars talking photography thing on your own even. With that, if stick. you buy me one of those, that'll be a complete waste of money because I will not use it. I promise. You. I doubt that. I'm, I doubt I'm not that, that vain. I'm not that vain. You're not that vain. <laughs> <laughs> we had a great not. time. It was freaking amazing. I would say that anybody, you know, I think Africa is a bit like Antarctica. It's it's on people's bucket lists, um, but often it it gets left to later in life just due to the expense because mm. it's not it's not cheap place to go to, but. Um, for the experience we had, oh my god, it was worth every cent, every dollar, every minute that we spent there. Um, the the wildlife encounters that you can have there are absolutely amazing, and if you go to the right places and you have the right guides, you can get incredibly close to the animals without them even caring. And, yeah. and you really do are sort of looking at the guides, saying, uh, "Are we too close here? Should we be backing off?" And they they understand the animals. They've been around them before. Uh, even the particular animals they can recognise. So um, you feel in safe hands. And uh, we just we had some incredible moments. That's for sure. So and did that? So did that eight hundred millimeter lens? Um, did that really come into its own when you were getting chased by a hippo at point blank range? <laughs> like you could use that to defend yourself. I mean, it's it's got the the could, size and weight could. behind it to. Uh, Correct. Um, look, the 800 wheel was frigging amazing, particularly for the birds because you see it, you know, 20, oh, 10, 20 metres away and you think to yourself, oh, I need to be closer to get that. And then all of a sudden you raise the, the camera to your eye and uh, you can get a half decent shot. So that was amazing. There were times where it was just so ridiculously close. I couldn't fit in any more than the sort of the animal's eye and nose. Well, that's kind of cool though. It's good composition. Chop it down. <laughs> I was challenging again. myself I was, a bit of that. In all seriousness, yeah. I was I was taking some still shots and then switching it to video and I shot a hell of a lot of slow motion video. So um, I'm going to be showing a bit of that um, in due course. We're just putting together a new Tanzania workshop for next year. It's very similar to the ones we did this year, year but I'll release that, um, the full length, it goes for about 10 minutes, the full length um, little mini movie that I made with that slow-mo video once I have the details for uh, – our Tanzania 2024 workshop. So if you, you want to come on that workshop, by the way, just let me know and um, send me an email, tom at tomputt.com. And I know I your email, Tom. The details. I know your well, email, all right? I suspect you'll be coming then. Thank you. Yeah, of course, of course. Hey, um, also, um, just, just to quickly clarify, you've got a range of slow-mo videos of this wildlife, right? Yeah. Are you genuinely making a montage for your next workshop? A slow motion yeah. montage of just wildlife with, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing chariots of fire in the background. Are you taking the piss out of me or what? Like, no, I think it'd be really yeah, cool. No, I like great. slow motion. It's, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll send it through to you. You can, you, I'll give you an exclusive preview, Matthew. Thank you. That'd and be you amazing. Give me your two cents worth and let me know yeah. if it. I'll if leave I'm... my review on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Which is a that wasn't a piss take, everyone. That is a genuine review site for high end films. So yeah, you know, just ease up, ease up, steady on. So tell me, tell me, Tom, what was your favourite animal that you saw? Oh, that's like asking me who my best friend is, Matthew. I have lots of them. You, of course, you are my best friend. Um, See, it wasn't that hard, was it? (laughs) I tell you what, I tell you what, a bat-eared fox was very much up there with my favourites. It's a small little fox that has these huge 
big ears like a bat. They're totally disproportionate to its head and the rest of its body. And so they've got these (laughs) massive ears and they look very comical. And the first time we saw them was in the Kalahari Desert driving back late one night along this sandy track. And they stood in the middle of the track and looked at us. And then when we approached a bit further, they got scared off. And the way they run to, you know, to elude their predators, that's a big word, elude their predators, is to zigzag sideways and do all these schizophrenic moves. And it is extremely comical to watch. If you can find it on YouTube, they're, they're, they're great. So that was, I was that hoping was you were going to say that, that the, the bat-eared fox, um, when it goes to escape its predators, it just it spreads its little legs and actually flies like a bat. Uses, uses, its, uses its ears and just starts flapping. And <laughs> got a hidden pair of wings tucked That's behind it, you know, in, yeah. in amongst its fur. It's like yeah. basically the fox version of Dumbo. This is it. This is it. <laughs> They're amazing. I mean, you know, the, the good thing, that wildlife, and this is um, segueing through to our topic for today, wildlife photography is and that that safari style of of photography is relatively new to me i've i've been photographing wildlife for many years that's how i got into photography but the whole idea of sort of right let's go out on safari let's go leave at six in the morning before sunrise let's go and see what we can find you're out for four five six seven hours sometimes just driving around looking for animals and it's like you're on the hunt it's it's terribly exciting and every time we went out, we saw something different. We came back with just great memories. So it really made for um, a special time that we were there for the two weeks. It was, it you was know, amazing. I reckon on safari, that's the best part about it, I think, is actually just that feeling of searching. Yes. To be like, we've, we had um, our very first trip to South Africa, and it was to a very, very, um, it was a beautiful part of Kruger, but it was a very, you know, well done part of Kruger. You know, it's not, a, it was, it's not as remote as, as where you guys were by any stretch. But um, you generally see a lot of stuff. It's pretty manicured, you know, not manicured, but yeah, it's curated almost. Um, but the, the, one of the best days that we actually had, or in my memory, one of the best days we had was the guide said, oh, you know, there's a lot of people out today, but there's this spot. It's right around the back of this mountainy hill looking thing. It's a really long drive. I don't know what's there. There's been no radio um, calls that have come through telling anyone where anything was there. So it might be a bust, but it might be something fun. And it was just Laura and I in the truck and we were like, you know what, stuff it today. We're just going to go. And I don't think we saw anything for about three and a half hours. Right. But it was the most exciting three and a half hours searching for something. Yes, like even driving if you don't see anything. Yes, no, that's it. It's like when you see stuff, it's obviously awesome. Like we know what that that is. That's a, that is fantastic. But it's pretty rare that you can actually do an activity like this where you're not really achieving your goal, but it's still just as exciting. And you know, in the end, we did. We got to the back end of the desert, this uh, this hill thing, and there was a huge um, uh, herd of elephant, which was you know great because we hadn't seen a big herd um, in that area. But there was a lot of this, just nothing in between, which was actually yeah, as you say, it's, it is being on the hunt. Yep, yeah, love it, yep. love it. It was it was it was hugely exciting, and um, and can't wait to do it again. We had great guides who were just so knowledgeable and so friendly to be around, and so accommodating. They, the the African guides and the people we had in contact with, you know, at the accommodation and and everywhere we went, were just so grateful for us visiting and um, and really, yeah, really nice to be around. Really obliging. So yeah, we had a fantastic time. Lovely. Anyway, there Lovely. you go. So what I thought we would discuss today was some of the things that I learned from getting back into wildlife photography, Ooh. which was. <laughs> which was, you know, sort of a steep learning curve for all of us because um, we're starting to incorporate more wildlife workshops into our offering. Traditionally, we've just been landscapes, but we're finding that, and, and I'm sure hopefully some of our listeners, uh, the three of you out there, um, can concur in a sense that um, people are now seemingly buying these longer lenses to either shoot photograph, um, landscape or wildlife, and they're becoming so affordable. So, for example... The let's let's exclude the one that I've bought for the minute because that's at the higher end. But that Sony two hundred to six hundred mil lens is what my guide in Yellowstone was using. It's not bad. A guide, a guide we met in Africa was using the same two hundred to six hundred. What is it? Five six to six three or four five to six three? I think it's six five to six. I think yeah. Uh, yeah I've got five six to six, six three. It's, six, it's three, yeah. two and a half thousand dollars. 
Yeah, that's it's ridiculous. Crazy. And it's easy cheats. And the super quality, sharp wide open. Yeah. That's it. The quality at 6.3, whether at 200 mil or, or 600 mil, as Matt just said, is super sharp. And for, I just can't believe how little money you have to spend in order to get a, a beautiful sharp lens these days. That Look, it's 6.3, but we don't need the 2.8 and F4s like we did in the past now. One of the things that I want to get onto today and help teach and educate our listeners about is the fact that auto ISO is just so good in these latest cameras these days that it makes that, that, that to, to, uh, relatively, Thomas, relatively, you, it makes that uh, 6.3 negligible. Come on. Uh, what are you talking about? Well, you're just saying it like it's your idea. I've been banging on not using manual forever and you always go, Oh, and, and, and here. No, I came up with this whole idea. I taught you about auto ISO, mate. Oh, sorry, sorry. You're right. I totally forgot. Totally forgot. <laughs> this is where Matt throws up his hands and 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 walks away from his computer and says, "Fuck you." So just, you can do the rest Netflix of the podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, halfway through Off the crown at the moment. So uh, no. Off he goes. So um, you probably have Matt. You probably have, and I just wasn't listening. No, you, well, that would that wouldn't surprise me at all. I very rarely listen to you as well. Um, <laughs> So anyway, we were talking about giraffes or something, weren't we? Yeah, that's exactly right. No, no, no. no, no. Zebras with two legs. Zebras with two legs. Mm. The um, no, but you're right. Like the, the the accessibility of these lenses have become much better. I mean, if you look, Nikon's got the 200 to 500. I'm not sure if that's in the Z series yet, but that's equally amazing, and it's relatively speaking cheap. Um, yep. You look at Sigma and Tamron brought, both brought out 150 to 600s and they've been improved several times since the first ones came out and they're sub $2,000. You can get some crazy gear. And I think the, 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 the tricky thing with wildlife that people don't understand generally in when I talk to them about it, wildlife's kind of my, it's been my passion for as long as I can remember in photography. It started with underwater and has sort of moved up and down under and above water for, for all of time. But I feel as though... Um, wildlife photography is one of the most challenging forms of photography because I always sort of say to people, when you look at say a landscape, right? And I go, how much control over your shot do you have in a landscape? And the reality is, yes, if you're traveling, you don't have as much control because you can't be there for infinite days. But realistically, someone could be there, you know, at the right day, at the right time, you know, you can look at that at forecast ahead. You can look at where to be, where to stand. You can go on Instagram and find um, composition ideas from that area. You can, um, uh, you've got time, even once you're there, realistically, even in a fast moving landscape environment, you really do have a few minutes between the sun coming up and the sun being up or whatever happens with the light you've got all this control over it if you look at portraiture the same sort of thing you even bring your own lights you can direct your model you can do all this stuff with wildlife you could be in the right place you could be there at the right time you could have the right equipment and the right know-how and knowledge and even know what sort of shot you're trying to achieve and the animal could even do the behavior that you're wanting to capture but if they're standing in the shade and the sun's two feet to the left of them the photo is going to be rubbish and so it's got so many unknowns in it. And I feel yep. as though, as you say, with things like auto ISO, and we've got a list that we're going to look at, but there's so many tips and tricks about it where you've got to start taking your eye off the technical stuff a little bit. And I think really get your eye down into the, you know, the story element of it. And, um, and, and because, you know, technically speaking, you know, you're going to re- rely heavily on your camera as things change, but that story aspect of it, very important. Um, and yeah, it's such an unpredictable difficult difficult subject that yeah you don't want to overcomplicate it do you well you can overcomplicate it by trying to fiddle around with all of your settings on your camera and that's where putting another auto iso not having to worry about that you could even shoot at f6.3 or whatever your maximum um, aperture is on your camera um, and and then not have to worry about anything else or shoot at two thousandths of a second and again let the camera shoot wide open and change the ISO to compensate for that. So I was running a series of experiments as we were doing this in order to see that the camera was actually choosing a reasonable ISO. I, my experience with auto ISO in the past has been that it tends to go unnecessarily too high mm. in order to give you either the shutter speed or the aperture that you have chosen. But then experimenting in Africa with my lens that I have, the the Nikon 800 6.3, I found that even on a bright sunny day, it was keeping it low to like 200 
as opposed to going 400 or 800 ISO. So it wasn't doing what I I suspected that it may do. So it was it was behaving the way it should. That's what I'm trying to say. So um, you know, excellent results. And even then, you know, the higher ISOs, sure, you might get a little bit of grain or noise in there. Not that that's um, a big deal because you can take it out using the various softwares like Topaz and and even to some extent Lightroom's noise denoise capabilities. But then what would you prefer? Would you prefer not to get the photograph because the light is too low or would you prefer to get the photograph and have it just be a little bit disjointed because it's got a little bit of noise in it? And, um, you know, there were some situations where we were just so glad we had it set that way because we would have missed the photograph otherwise. It would have been grossly, you know, five, ten stops underexposed and there's just no point as opposed to, well, yeah. guys, you know, let's whack it on auto ISO and let's at least get the shot. And even at 25,000 ISO, you can still use it. I mean, th- we get so caught up on this noise or, or auto ISOs and, and et cetera. And to be honest, maybe it's not that good a shot that you're going to necessarily print it anyway, but most people are going to just pop it on social media anyway where you're not going to see the noise. So what does it matter? Well, I think that's a, it's a good point, but I do think that there's a risk you run there because you, you go, most of the shots you post are just going to be on social media and it won't really matter. But when that shot happens, you want to know that you're prepared for it. And I think bad habits can, you know, can creep into the important parts of our photography as well. So, you know, if you you sort of say, oh, I don't mind if it's 10,000 ISO on a Z9 or whatever because the ISO grain's not too bad, but then you do get that magical shot, that one moment that happened to, you know, occur um, and you get this great shot, you decide you want to print it big, you might have a bit of tricky or a bit of difficulty. But... There is a couple of uh, – I'm curious, Tom, we're kind of going not off topic here, but we are definitely changing the format of how we were going to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> but a question, when you're shooting with your um, with your settings over there, did you find that you are shooting on aperture priority, shutter priority, or are you talking about using manual with auto ISO? Oh, wow. There you go. Um well, you know me, I come from a sports photography background, so I'm most of the time defaulting to shutter priority. So I will say, right, if I want to freeze the action of this animal, that might this bird that might take off from the perch, I want to be on two thousandths of a second, two and a half thousandths mm. of a second to capture that. Most of the time I'd shoot at a thousand because, you know, the lions or the giraffes or the elephants aren't moving incredibly fast. I just need a high enough shutter speed in order to be able to handhold my camera and uh, and capture that movement. Right. Why, what are you doing? I mean, and I know a lot of people are aperture priority. I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> well, come on, Arnie, tell me. No, there's two. That, was that Arnie? Because that was terrible, whatever it was. Um, there's a couple of different ways I look at this, right? Because I think you're bang, you, what you just said is bang on that, um, you know, elephants, for instance, generally speaking, aren't moving crazy fast. Um even lions, when we're in a situation where humans are interacting with them, unless you're out of the car, um, they don't tend to move terribly fast. Um, you know, most animals, in fact, that I find people photograph generally aren't moving all that fast. So this is where the story comes into fo- photography a little bit because you need to be more creative when animals aren't moving very fast. You need to be creative about not just shooting an animal or, or photographing an animal that you go, it's a documentation of I saw a giraffe, you know, that's yeah. not the most yeah. exciting. And so when you think about it, using shutter priority really says that it is, you know, the, the shutter speed is your priority. It's the most important part of the shot. And if you've got a subject that's not moving all that fast at all, well, then should shutter actually be your priority? Because as long as the motion blur from your handshake is frozen, yep. um, then it's not really a priority in the photo. And cameras these days with auto ISO are clever enough that if you put a longer telephoto lens on, they will balance the shutter speed and ISO against your focal length. So, yep. for instance, if you zoom in on a lens from 200 to 600, it will naturally increase the shutter speed trying to compensate for the fact that you oh, have this bit of movement. Oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. So they're that. pretty clever. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, the other thing you've got in your camera, which is I'm going to call it a secret source, um, and 
Oh, no, seriously, this is game changer. Only in your camera. Only in your special camera, Matthew. It's it's actually, you know what, it's... I will say it's not in every single camera. It is in most cameras these days, though, that are being produced as of the last couple of years. Older cameras, um, you you do have it in a lot of them, but not all of them. So Canon's typical for um, leaving this out, whereas Nikon's got it in all their cameras, Sony's got it in all their cameras. Um, have you heard of minimum shutter speed settings? Well, not for shutter speed, but I've heard it. For, oh, my God, oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> No, Have honestly, I just made your day, Matthew. Have I just? No, I'm uh, not yet. You're teaching me something. No, I am about to make your day, and then that'll make my day. Matt, every day I speak to you, you make my day. Well, maybe we should tell you tomorrow so we can do it <laughs> twice. <laughs> the okay, so minimum shutter speeds is really freaking clever thing, right? Because often we we care about the aperture in our camera as a priority, because a lot of telephoto lenses perform relatively poorly wide open. So the, the Nikon 200 to 500 is an exception. The Canon 100 to 400 is an exception. The Sony 200 to 600 is an exception. Obviously, something like a prime lens, like what you've got, is an exception, right? They're going to be sharp, wide open anyway. Yeah. Well, you hope but so. Depth of, yeah, you <laughs> hope so, yeah. So depth of field is is a huge in, issue in our photography as well, especially on telephoto lenses. So I've got a great well, tracking photo. That's something probably cover in this, in this podcast yeah. as well. Go on. Well, this kind of ties in here, right? So I was, as an example, I bought the Nikon 400 mil 2.8 f2.8 um a while back and i photographed this i love it it's the best little portrait of a baby elephant on the planet that i've ever like i just love it it's so good except i shot it at f2.8 because it was quite dark and i focused on its forehead not its eyes and now its eyes are a bit out and its trunk's really sharp and it just to me it's just never right like yeah i don't think it'd be fine but it's just not right yeah technically anyway 100 where you want it yeah. to be yeah so here's the thing if i shoot shutter priority mode to try and freeze my handshake, the camera is going to be searching for light. So naturally it'll go and open, sorry, it'll it'll um, open the aperture right up because it needs more light. Yeah. Correct. Yep. And then it will go for the ISO. So which yep. means I might end up with too shallow of a depth of field. Yep. If I shot shutter, oh, sorry, aperture priority, I get to yep. lock in my depth of field, but now I might yeah. be facing a, a combination of shutter shake or high ISOs. This has been, so, my, this has been my argument for not using um, aperture priority because then you lose sight of the shutter prior, shutter speed. Oh, well. And then all of a sudden you're, you're shooting on a too slow shutter speed and people are like, oh, why is this blurry? The animal oh moved or or I've got camera shake from this the shutter speed being 40th of a second. Well, my friend, this will be the most valuable podcast that we've ever recorded. I just led you into that, to this moment of brilliance. Thank you, thank you. I just tilted that spotlight yeah. across the stage. I'll leave you and over the door. I'll leave the envelope in the door. Your shining glory. <laughs> Off you go, Matt. Off you go. Matt. So, so the minimum shutter speed setting in your in your camera, it's it's found where you change your ISO settings. Um, you'll find in a Nikon, it's at the bottom line. It'll say min SS or minimum shutter speed, and uh, you go in there. It basically says that whenever the camera is in control of the shutter speed, right? So this would be aperture priority mode or program mode, arguably, but generally aperture priority mode. The camera is in charge of the uh, the uh, shutter speed. And the ISO. And the challenge you're talking about is balancing it. So you're saying you'd happily sacrifice a bit of ISO if you could eliminate the shutter speed motion blur. Yep. And what you can do is you can say to the camera, all right, well, the minimum shutter speed you're allowed to use for this particular animal, I'm on an 800 mil lens. You might say, I can handhold this at 1 800th of a second pretty comfortably. Yep. So put the minimum shutter speed at 1 800th of a second. Yep. And what the camera then does is you get to lock off your aperture. Yep. The camera then says, okay, we need more light. So it slows the shutter down until it hits your minimum shutter speed. Yes, and then it goes to the ISO. ISO. Yeah. So it's a bit of a stopgap. And why this is different from just simply having like manual mode with a auto ISO, just for those who like the technical part, because you can go into manual mode, lock your aperture, lock your shutter speed, and then use auto ISO as well. And that gives yes. you kind of the best of both worlds. Yep. The downside of that is let's say, for instance, your bird flies off and it flies towards a brighter patch of sky. Yep. And you've set your shutter speed to one one thousandth of a second or two thousandth of a second or whatever. Yep. And your aperture at a certain value. And the yep. camera then gets down to its lowest ISO and it goes, shit, got nowhere to go. It can't increase the speed of the shutter. Yeah. So, so it can't get rid of any out. light. So yeah. you just get blown out shots. Yeah. So this whole minimum shutter speed thing, you can also have it actually rather than a specific number, you've actually got options in a Nikon and a Sony. I'm not sure about Canon, um, but you do it in the Olympus as well. And it just says standard, fast, faster, or you can go standard, slow, slower. 
So you're basically saying to the camera, look, I'm not going to tell you specifically what shutter speed to use, but make sure in every situation you keep it on the faster side. Right. Which is pretty cool. Excellent. I didn't know that. Boom. So, so the okay, I'll have to play with it. You, so oh, you'll love it. You'll camera. love it. Three weeks too late, but you'll love it. <laughs> I'll have to go back. Bugger. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. That's interesting. This is, yeah. you know, Matt, you are just mm. a wealth of information. This is mm. amazing. Often so, useless, but sometimes there's a gem. You know? And of course, for those who perhaps had listened to the last five minutes and going, what the hell are they talking about? What would they be best to do to sort of follow up, Matthew, if they're wanting greater for clarification on this topic? Well, I believe there's another Tanzania workshop running next year. <laughs> no, I was actually thinking about your workshop, dude. <laughs> well, we both we both have workshops running. So I run a, an advanced wildlife workshop. It's not for advanced. It's to get you to an advanced place. It's out at Hillsville. It's got a 40-page notebook that comes along with it with QR that's codes to scan for video tutorials and all sorts of jazz. I'm um, booking just to get their notebook so I can copy it. Oh, you should. Yeah, do it. Just oh, pop your logo oh, on. I'll send you African. Yeah, that's it. But the yeah. – um, yeah, so that's run out there. And then you've also – you've got obviously your your workshop overseas. Well, hold on, hold on. When are you, when are you next running? When are you next oh, running? Oh, jeez, that's a great question. Um, I run them every month. <laughs> Come so on. The Where's next the one is – I'm in my calendar here. The next one's yes. on the 11th of June. 11th of June. Have you got places, Matthew? The, oh, you know what? I think I've got – Let's not offer it if you places. haven't got any places. Yeah, I think I've got to – Well, Sorry, look, that's June 11, up, 2026 so. yeah. for those who are yeah. interested. <laughs> well, I'll be honest. It does book out pretty – usually pretty quickly, oh, which is good does. news for me. So, uh, yeah. Oh, here we go. He's one of these workshop leaders who goes, <laughs> oh, my workshops book out very quickly. So Just book one now. left. One left. One left. Yeah. Book, oh, now. Oh, book now. Book now. Here, quick. I'll email I'm you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's a there's a I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little dummy spit here. There is a <laughs> photographer out there, and you all know who he is. I've given it away already. <laughs> that will send emails out saying that there's one lift in each of these print runs, and it's absolute bullshit. It is every time he sends out an email, there's one left in that print run. I'm like, oh hold on, that was a year ago. He said there was one left. Well, there probably still, still is one last one. Yeah. Oh, fuck and, off, sorry, well, I'll tell you what, Tom. The easy way to do that is make sure that all your prints are one of one. And then you can say that about any of them. There's one left of everything. Yeah. One left of everything. Yeah. Uh, do people not get tired of that sort of marketing though? Because it's the oldest trick in the book and it's wearing very thin with me. It's mm. BS. Be genuine. Mm. People want gen- genuine, authentic people to do business with these days and that's not genuine or authentic. I just, I'm sorry, can't stand that. BS because it's not true and it's pulling the wool over people's eyes. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> well, anyway, that not, fantastic workshop of yours out at Hillsville Sanctuary. I won't commit to saying there's only one left because I'm not sure that's the truth. <laughs> um, Jump on the website, Matthew Crumman's website, and do that advanced wildlife workshop because, you know, the good thing about what you do, Matt, is that you are very technical. You know what you're talking about. And so if people are struggling with their cameras, or wanting to know more about how to get the best out of their camera, you would absolutely do well to go on uh, one of Matt's workshops. Oh, thanks, Tom. And then come on mine. <laughs> so, well, I mean, if it helps, if it helps, don't go on my website at the moment because it looks as though it's just completely broken itself. Oh no, it's um, not. I was on there just before. It's yeah, fine. No, I just went on to. I just went on to my. You're um, just never. I just went on there to find the date. No, it's just genuinely um, displaying all kooky business. We'll get onto that, please. Fix that before uh, this podcast goes to air. Yeah. Yeah, I will. I will. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, right. right. It's not live. We're not live, are we? So yeah, jump on team. <laughs> I'm so like, what the hell? Oh my god, Matt. Matt won't release this podcast until he knows his workshop's up and running and he's put oh. his advanced wildlife workshop on the homepage. Book now. <laughs> Book now for twenty twenty six. One spot left. <laughs> one spot remaining. Oh, oh right. So anyway, we were talking about got, um, yeah. I've got shows. workshops there. You've got the you've got your workshop coming up, and this is a good time actually, just to quickly say you've you've actually got something happening next Tuesday. I do. Thank you for letting me know, Matthew. Uh, next Tuesday we have a special uh, presentation. What we do after each one of my advanced workshops, um, when I say advanced, the extended workshops, we often don't have time to do um, a critique session. We, we always include it as part of our workshops. We get time to sit down and do Lightroom sessions, but we don't get a chance at the end to tie everything together. So we leave that now 
in the days of Zoom uh, to do that after the workshop. So next Tuesday night at 8 p.m., we have a special Zoom session where each of the participants who came to Tanzania with me last month are going to be presenting their favourite images from the workshop and we're going to do a live critique session for probably an hour and a half, two hours. And so it starts at 8pm. If you'd like to come along, you just need to um, jump Register. On. You do need to register. Now, I just put it into Tom's Tribe, but I'll also put the link into our group on Facebook, the Matt and Tom's Excellent Podcast Group. And so uh, you can register there and that way we can send you the details for that Zoom session. But we'd love to have you along. Um, we're going to be doing the, the critique session in front of everybody else. And I think it's just a great way for the people to sort of um, learn, obviously, more about shooting wildlife, how to process the images in Lightroom and um, and see the fun we had. So, yeah, we'd love to have and you along. That's the 18th, just um, the 18th of April, in case you're listening to this in the distant future. It is. It is. Uh, yes, for those who perhaps are listening to it um, in uh, June 2023, you've missed that little session. Um, yeah. But we will also um, publish that recording um, on my website as well. So um, if you can't find it, just send me an email, tom at tompup.com, and I'll send you the details for those who are listening well in advance. Look at that. And the, here's the lesson. If it is June and you're listening to this, listen closer. Subscribe to this podcast so you get notified and then you won't miss these amazing opportunities. What a great idea, Matt. Hey, look, congratulations to you. I'm not sure if this happened before or after the uh, the latest podcast, but we actually reached 10,000 downloads for 10, our podcast. 10,000? Isn't that amazing? 10,000. Yeah, very proud of you, Matt, for uh, for sticking with me all this time. It feels like that's not really possible when you look at the, 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 the <laughs> amount of podcasts we've made and how many people don't download them. I'm just, I just uh, that's incredible. That's incredible that the maths worked out that way. How have we done that with only three listeners? I know, right? You're very dedicated. That's, or we say such interesting things, you need to listen to it 15,000 times to a, this is, this or 5,000 times to get it. Yeah, yeah uh, there so you go. Thank you to everybody who's been uh, listening for all of that time and we appreciate your support. And obviously, um, if you'd like to hear of other topics for us to ramble on about for 45 minutes, just uh, let us know, send us a message, comment, whatever. Now, we've got, awesome. we've got a long list here, so I feel like we've got to get back to the show right now. <laughs> we've only got eight minutes plugs. left. Yeah. Eight minutes right. left. Where so, Tom, I'm going? you sent me through a list of things here. Can I read through them? And go. then I'll let you choose one and I'm going to choose one. Okay, I reckon that's go. a good idea. All right. So, yep. notes. These are some of the, 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 tin, the, the tips, right? Keep shutter speed high. We've kind of spoken about that, I reckon. We've covered oh, yeah, that. Yeah, we have. Yep. Plus, minus one. Yep. Do you want to just describe that one for me a little bit? Because well, for that, for example, if you've got a really um, bright bird against a dark background, mm-hmm. the, the evaluative metering, the metering mm-hmm. in the camera is going to want to probably just see the dark background and therefore make that picture brighter. Mm-hmm. But then it's not going to see the bright coloured bird in front of the bush or the background. Mm-hmm. So you want to go minus one. You want to underexpose it so that the plumage on the bird, for example, is not so bright that you're blowing out the highlights. And vice versa, for something that's, you know, against a light background, you might need to give a plus one to make it brighter. There you go. I thought you meant we were going to do some HDR bracketing with wildlife and I'm like, no. you're a crazy man. You're no. Crazy man. God, no. No. Yeah. I totally agree. And you know what's really interesting with that these days, that exposure compensation. Um, I always, you know, Tom, I, do you know how I refer to exposure compensation? Go. I call it the beige underwear of the photography world. <laughs> do you know why? How do you know what I'm wearing? because it's not very sexy to talk about but really important to have exposure compensation (laughs) say that i have a pair of beige undies but anyway no it's the uh no but uh but but well you know i'm usually talking to a different demographic um but the uh (laughs) but but you're right no it's very very important although what i do love these days is the vast majority of people i think are shooting or starting to shoot on mirrorless cameras and you get that live feedback so you can actually see what the camera is doing so you can kind of react such a huge benefit isn't it massive 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 yeah um but yep love that one okay you've got focus eyes focus eyes focus eyes focus Um, eyes well, you know, like anything, like any portrait, regardless of whether it's a person or an animal, if you are looking at that photograph and wanting to appreciate it, the first thing you're going to do is look at the eyes and see that they're sharp because you want some sort of emotional connection and it's mm. very off-putting if the, fo- the eyes aren't in focus. So if you can, move the focus point so it's on the eyes. Totally agree. One caveat to that I'm going to throw in there is or, focus on the eyes or 
make sure it's absolutely not on the eyes. So as an example, like the most obvious example I can think of is if you had an elephant poking its trunk out towards your camera yes. and you focused on the tip of its trunk, make sure the yes. eyes are super blurry if you're going to focus on the trunk. Yeah, if they're both then, kind then, of in focus, then it's a bit weird. Yes, correct, yeah. correct. You're not so sure. There are, what, there are yeah. some times where you might focus on other things on an animal, but make sure the eyes are almost unrecognizably blurry because then we won't try and find them. But if the moment you kind of look towards them as the first point and then they're not in focus, it looks like a mistake. Correct. Correct. Very good. Yep. Next. Uh, next one is what's the story? This Look, is a you know, this, this makes up like five pages of my notebook is on this. You, you touched on this earlier. I was banging on about this the whole workshop. Can I In tell you? Oh, sorry. No, you go. Sorry. I thought you. I thought it was a really short sentence, but it wasn't. You are going somewhere. Sorry. Go, go, <laughs> In a sense that. Talk, boy. In a sense that um, you – it's all very well to take a photograph of an animal and fill the frame with it and it looks amazing. But like a bird pop. It, it's, it's been done to death. And so mm. what I want people to do, and this applies in landscape as well, and I teach this way on the workshops, is I say to people, imagine you're describing this scene to somebody before you actually show them the photograph that you've produced. So you might say, hey, we were, um, we, were, we were driving along this road and then all of a sudden the sun popped out and there was this rainbow and there was this lion standing there and it was raining and et cetera. You're not going to photograph just the rainbow. You're not going to photograph just the lion and crop in tight. You're going to want everything. So it's particularly relevant to those who tend to sort of crop into tight and, and tend to, um, you know, just make it tight and bright, which is the way I was taught to shoot sports photography so i fall into this trap all the time ask yourself right if i was to describe this scene to somebody what would i tell them are the key elements and make sure you include those and therefore um it, it just allows you to go through that mental checklist of have i shot this properly have i zoomed out enough have i zoomed in enough have i included everything that i should have i excluded the things that are irrelevant and so yeah i was gonna say the exclusion of stuff yeah. The exclusion of stuff is just as important as the inclusion of stuff. I Absolutely. Think. As we as we keep banging on about, at the end of the day, it's the stuff that you exclude that's going to make the picture more stronger because there's nothing worse than looking at a photograph and going, oh, why do I include that in the shot? Mm -hmm. why those, those, those annoying branches that are coming into the frame yeah. there. I didn't even see them when I was photographing. Oh, it ruins the whole picture. Bugger. You've got like a lion with a rainbow and the rain coming down and a lightning storm in the background, a volcano. But then there's a bloody wheelie bin in the background as well, you know? Um, <laughs> so frustrating. I mean, really. So, so I actually look at, I try to look at this exactly the same as you do. And I think that the, where this gets really complicated for some people, though, is that the scene you just described, I would say, in a way, it's kind of obvious. You've got a rainbow and a storm cloud and a rain coming down and a line in the middle of the road. And it's like this, this scene, you can see it so vividly in your mind. Where this can sometimes get really tricky is when you have a much more mundane version of this. So if you're driving along and, or, or even if you, let's face it, for a lot of people, this is going to be at the zoo. Um, you know, you see an animal and there's not much to the environment. So yeah. maybe it's really nice light or just an animal that's a pretty particularly close thing. I always kind of say to people um, exactly the same. What would you describe to people? I usually like to say to create a bit of a story in your photos is to say what four sentences would you use on the phone to describe this to someone on the other side yep. of the planet right now? Yeah. Because that gives you sort of four photos to take of that scene. So four v versions. And the other part to it is that um, even if you don't have an entire environment to show, um, using that descriptor of four different things to talk about why you are taking the shot in the first place. So what about this animal is attractive to shoot in the first place as opposed to just I'm taking a photo of an elephant because it happened to be there. Um, that gives you your, your sort of areas to crop into if you do want to crop right into an animal. And I kind of bring people, you know, especially those who are not vegetarian, um, to... Um, this this, this <laughs> diagram you often see behind a butcher's, you know, butcher counter and it'll have like, you know, the animal and that'll be all the different cuts. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I, I know this sounds it's horrible. Great for the vegetarians amongst yeah. the listenership. Sorry, yeah, but, everybody. But well, here's the thing though. Like I sort of see photography in the same way, obviously like slightly more um, uh, humane. But so many kooky analogies to do with photography. But you think like, about it and it's like, there's all these different parts to an animal. So take an elephant for an example, right? If you look at an elephant, the temptation is just to take oh, a photo of an elephant. Up, we're cutting up an elephant now. We're, yeah, we're, we're cutting up elephants. Yeah. It. Okay. Yeah, that's it. We'd yeah, like the it. trunk, that's everybody. It. Well, first we shot it. Now we should cut it up. Um, <laughs> oh, so 
but you are you might say hey i freaking love the trunk right so great all right what photo could you do that excludes so much distraction that people there's it's unquestionably about the trunk you know um an elephant's tail like its butt where the tail meets is a really interesting texture it's very good you know? too yeah. so it's like if but if you just have like a whole elephant and you hope that people notice that feature you're probably kidding yourself so if the environment's worth capturing around it, absolutely use that approach of trying to make sure everything is or isn't in it. But but even if you are going for a closer shot, you can you can kind of work around that a bit um, yeah. by by cutting it down and thinking about all the different things that make up the elephant, you know, yeah, um, or whatever. All right, next one. Start out wide, then zoom in. Well, this is all about composition too, because sometimes people go, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what else to shoot. Like I've taken the most obvious shot and I say, well, hold on. How about you start out wide and zoom in? There could be that placement shot, like we were just talking about, the story where you shoot out wide and you include a few extra things around the animal and then you zoom in to get just the tight and bright shot of the animal itself. And you go mm. vertical, you go horizontal. I know I've skipped through to the next point already. But I, I even in landscape, I say there's four, there's generally four basic shots you can get. If you're using a, a zoom lens, you start out wide, shoot it horizontal, you zoom in and get another horizontal picture. You then turn the camera 90 degrees and you do the same thing vertically. Okay, interesting. But it also, sorry to also just butt in there, it also applies if you're having trouble using a long lens and trying to line up the animal in the first place. You mm. might, it might be a small bird in a tree and you're kind of like, I cannot find this thing anywhere. And it's like, well, hold on, you're using it on 600 mil. How about you back off to 200 mil, spot it in your lens and then zoom in accordingly and that way you've got the animal in the frame. There you go. Comprende? Yeah, I do. I comprende. I comprend. I, I comprend. Um, yeah, no, I definitely agree with that one. I do think the um, the other advantage of this is even if you take out the uh, or, or take this a bit further rather than just the zoom aspect of it is um, approaching wildlife, especially if you're on foot. So this is probably not as relevant to being out on the savannah as it is to being, you know, in maybe Australia with the wildlife. Um, but I always sort of suggest being quite far back. As soon as you spot the wildlife, you can use your full zoom, but take a shot from where you are then yeah. eyes to yeah, the that's ground. That's what I call walk. the insurance shot. Yeah, and then you walk another five paces, eyes to the ground, don't make eye contact, put your camera up, take another shot, five more paces or whatever that pace, you know, if you're a kilometre away, obviously maybe more than five, but but you kind of keep taking these. Yeah, that's a great term, insurance shots. And so that by the time you get to the point where the animal turns or walks away or runs away or flies <laughs> away or does a schizophrenic little zigzag like a bat-eared fox. <laughs> bat-eared um, fox. By the time you get to that point, you've actually gotten the closest you could possibly have gotten whilst keeping both you and the animal safe um, and, uh, and and you've, you've achieved that. So I like that and it works with your feet as well as your Zoom. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, you know you what said- I'm going to do to publish this podcast that you'll be re- getting back to me as quickly as possible. I'm going to po- post a little video that I did, slow-mo video I did of a, I did of a bad-eared fox. Just to, oh, perfect. Yeah, well, there you go, mate. Yeah, I knew that would turn you on. I'm glad go that on. you're also focusing and listening on our conversation and not doing other dicking around in the background there. Sorry, what um, you Nothing. Uh, you said horizontal, vertical. We sort of just touched on that. We'll move yeah, but- your focus point. Also, that's kind of obvious because the eyes thing, but – Maybe not so yeah, obvious but, for a lot of people. Yeah, but it also goes to another point that we've made about composing off-centre. Like just yeah. don't put the animal in the centre of the frame. If you've got yeah. time, go, right, okay, hold on. This this lion is sort of is, – is Just lying around. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God. Um, you know, it's facing right to left, so it makes sense that the empty space is on the left. Give it space to look into. Breathing so, space. Breathing space. So move your focus point around so you can compose accordingly. Totally. Couldn't agree more with that one. And the other thing I'm going to say is that there is a difference between moving your focus point and just half focusing in single focus and then recomposing because for most of you, your cameras will also lock the exposure at the same time as the focus. So if you point up and have the little dot in the center, the focus point in the center of your frame and you point up and then lock the focus, it also locks the exposure based on that composition. And then if you change your composition, the exposure may have needed to be changed. So um, you can do this. You can turn that off, can you? You can turn that off in the background for most things. Yeah, You can, but it's also kind of annoying. Vance Wildlife Workshop with Matt Crummins on June the 11th at 
the Hillsville Sanctuary. You'll learn yeah, about yeah, you'll learn all about and so much more as well. So much and more. So much more. Matt will um, get his clothes off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. We've got auto ISO we've covered. Check yeah. your settings. We've kind of covered that, I think. Well, I just think it, it just, you know, you can get so caught up in, you know, this magical moment where these elephants are, you know, walking towards you and you're like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like, this is why I came to Africa. That if if you're banging away and yet your settings are incorrect, you, you're shooting on shutter priority and all of a sudden you're down to like, you know, a two hundredth of a second 100%. or less. You just it's just good practice to mentally check your your settings when you've got the moment or when it's going bananas, you just to run your eye around the frame so you can check them so that you're not screwing up the photos, of course. I'm also gonna add into there, definitely check your settings as you go. But I would also say that um, you're better off sacrificing the first bit of the experience to get the settings right. Then you are to just get straight into it and shooting and then realize halfway through that you've stuffed up the first half of it. Yeah, that's that so, comes back to my next point, which is all about reviewing your images early. Totally. So you it's review. About, I would, take a test shot, get it all lined up, take the shot. Yep, okay, everything looks good, and then go bananas. Yeah, definitely. And I think that the, with this as well, with your um, with your settings, part of that review is to zoom in to 100% on the screen. Make sure that you're actually sharp. doesn't just look sharp as like a tiny two-inch image. Zoom right into the detail. Make sure what's you can see. The most see common all problem detail? you find that people have with that, like, as in, what's the common mistake that people make to stuff up their photos when shooting wildlife? Or probably the lack of reviewing, because everyone knows how to fix it when you bring it to their attention. It's like because it's. I don't think. I think in wildlife, really, like, if you get your focusing method right and your focus area right, and then you get your settings, yeah. you know, in terms of aperture or shutter, you're pretty in the ballpark. And once you sort of get to this point, you really understand that pretty well. Yeah. Um, it's usually that they shoot like crazy, the spray and pray method we call it. Yep. And then they don't check their photos back properly. They look at it and on the small, tiny little low resolution screen on the back of the camera, it yeah, looks it all looks right. Fine. It looks fine. Yeah. And then you get I home and realize you are just two clicks too slow. And most people, in fact, attribute this to having a soft lens when most of the time it's micro motion blur. So um, oh God, I do think it's super important. Setting, right? It hey, really is. Podcast. Yeah. Hey, but my point was, what what is the technical things that people stuff up? And I think you've answered it. I reckon most of the time with wildlife photography, it'd be the wrong focus settings. Wrong focus setting, or yeah. one click too slow on the shutter speed. You know, right. I always say with Matt with with um with uh settings, right? You know how we talk about using using automatic ISO or using yeah. a priority mode, where the ca- we're going to call that an automatic setting because that's what it is. Yeah. People mistake an automatic setting for just switch off and let the camera do it. And that's not true. Like there's very few things we do in our lives that are automated that we don't keep one eye on and make sure that it still works, if that makes sense. Just like you. you. Know, like, yeah, that's I'm you. always keeping my eye on you, Matthew, just to make sure you're working <laughs> properly. Uh, well, you think about it like, you know, in auto mode as an example, like even if you use pure automatic, it's actually can has, it has the ability to do it in a really amazing job if it chooses the right settings. And, you know, when I'm in aperture priority mode, for instance, I don't just go, oh, that's right, the camera's dealing with everything, so I only have to think about my aperture. I think to myself, look, I don't have to change my shutter, but I'm going to keep my eye on it. I'm not going to micromanage it, but I'm going to generally manage yeah. what my camera is doing and make sure yeah. that it's not making bad decisions. Yeah. You know, if, you owned, if you ran a business and you had employees, you wouldn't just say, hey, look, you know what you're doing. I'll never check in on you. You also don't want to hover over them and have full control over everything they do, mm. but you are going to kind of like, you know, keep your eye flicking across every now and then just to make sure it's still behaving. And I think yeah. that that's, that's uh, on your camera, it's the same. You don't just hand the setting over. You do have to still keep your eyes on it. I would say to expand on that is in that photography, like an intensive sort of safari like we are talking about before, can be quite exhausting. And that's the reason being emotionally is that you should be all the time thinking about, right, what settings do I need to have in order to get this photograph, you know, because it varies depending on whether you're photographing a ver- bird versus a, an elephant versus a lion versus a zebra versus a herd of, you know, animals versus one on its own. So you constantly, you should be constantly thinking to yourself, what are the ideal settings that I need to, in order to capture this? Plus, you should always be on the hunt, so to speak, in order to look for other photos. So, for example, on my desktop at the moment, I have this gorgeous photograph of these two elephants walking uh, alongside a road. Um, in the Nongorogoro crater uh, in Tanzania. And that was, I only got that shot because everybody else was was keeping their eye and photographing these animals to the side right next to the vehicle. And I was like, okay, I'll you shoot those. And in the meantime, I'll keep an eye out for other great shots that might be around. All of a sudden mm. I look straight ahead of the vehicle and coming up the road with these two amazing elephants. And I'm like, guys, this shot, 
And they never would have got that otherwise. I'm not blowing up my own, um, you know, sunshine up my ass here. But what I'm saying is that you should constantly not only be focusing on what you, you want to photograph, but then also be aware of perhaps what else is happening around you to get the next shot, so to speak. So it is quite emotional, emotionally exhausting in order to be able to be out looking for those photographs for hours and hours and hours on end. So, yeah, you can be quite exhausted by the end of it all. I don't know what my point was there, but, you know. <laughs> was keeping your eyes on the settings, settings and uh, double-checking your settings, settings, yeah. But, you know, you're right. There's a lot going on there. And this is why wildlife can be so difficult as well is there's, there's just a lot of moving parts to it. And that said, you can overcomplicate it as well. You know, I see a lot of people taking this the, the settings part way too seriously and then they completely forget their photos are technically perfect but it's of like a bird sitting on a pole. And yeah. you know what? Great. If you're looking for pure technical perfection or an interesting bird that might appeal to a birding person, that's fine. Nothing wrong with it. But when I see people entering, uh, especially wildlife um, photos, into competitions, I always sort of say, look, it's a gr- it's, technically it's a great photo, but it's just there's, it's not going not to get it's, placed. It's not be, interesting. This could be a part two of this podcast, which is what's more important, to get the technical settings correct or get the light on the composition and the story correct? Yeah, well, I mean, we can probably answer that in the next 30 seconds, but... (laughs) I know, um, but let's flesh it out. Let's Let's, exactly And do some shameless... Struggling for topics, so come on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, last one's on here. You've got wait for the perfect shot and anticipate behaviour. I'm going to say they're two in the same. Pretty much Um, in a sense that I I was challenging people as we went through the workshop. Obviously, when you start a workshop, you kind of like everyone's getting used to their cameras again. They might not have used them for a while. You're talking about the technical aspects, et cetera. But as the workshop moves on, you say, guys, okay, we've got plenty of shots of elephants already. How about you think to yourself, what would be the perfect shot in your mind of, of what we're seeing here? Are we waiting for the elephant to you know, flap its ears? Are we waiting for it to raise its trunk? Are we waiting for the little baby elephant to come around the front so we see it better? Don't just blast away because it's there. Just aim for the perfect shot now and that way you're going to be hopefully more satisfied with the photos when you come to download them. Yeah, totally agree. And you know what? This That's, that's a real micro version of one of my points and that is that if you've been out shooting for a while, I think that sometimes just the old spray and pray, like going out there and it's a safari is classic, right? Like enjoy the safari for what it is. It's not all about the photos. But if you've got a photo, if you've got a hundred photos of elephants already, make sure that your next ones don't look the same. Yep. You know, challenge yourself, yep. up, one up yourself and you will eventually find that you'll get to the point where you get really fussy about what you shoot because you'll be like, hold on a second. I've already got a photo of an elephant standing in a, you know, in a paddock essentially doing nothing. All right, cool. Now what can I do to make it different? And you will get to a point like I, I, even these, these days I was talking to my underwater photography group the other day and I said um, that the conditions down at, at um, the, the peninsula are quite good and the spider crabs are back. So the spider crabs come in their thousands. Ah, yes. Um, and they're down, apparently they were down somewhere around Sorrento, um, not for their official migration or anything like that because it wasn't the molting time, but there's a lot of them there. And I was super excited. And then I sort of said, at the same time, I've actually, I, I really do think that for the conditions that we have and the environment that we're shooting in, I actually think I have my best photos of spider crabs. I can't picture what else it is that I could do yep. creatively to one up that. And so what I'll end up doing, I know, is I'm going to spend the whole day going down there. I'm going to jump in the water. I'm going to replicate all the photos I've already taken before. Yeah. And then I'm going to be disappointed that they don't look the same. I'm probably not going to post them because they look too similar to my old ones. And so sometimes thinking with this, this um, you know, I guess this almost one step ahead, anticipating a behaviour, a new behaviour or, or looking in a different direction, yeah, it just keeps your stuff fresh and new and you can challenge yourself. But if you find that you're putting your camera up to take the same shot you've already taken, maybe just think to yourself, what's more valuable, the same shot again or just enjoying that moment? I would love, by the way, for you to take me down to see the spider crabs. I've been wanting to do that for years. No, oh, there you go. I might be able to do that. Well, they, they were, I know they were here last week, so they don't usually come in for very long, but um, no. I can I can make some calls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Matt, if you could get your people to speak with my people and I would, make that happen, I would love you forever. Yeah. It, it's The only thing I will say, though, is that when you speak to their people, they are a bit crabby, so they're, they're not the most nice to talk to. God um, These are dad jokes through and through. Two is better than one is my What last. does that even mean? Two oh, is that two in the hand is better than one in the bush? No, no, it is. It is about the fact that sometimes you know two animals of the same or two different animals look better than one. So 
You've got Ooh. two elephants in the shot rather than one or two lions in the shot rather than one, things like that. So if, if the situation allows you to do that, I think it's more interesting. There you go. And that 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 applies for other genres as well. And of course, um, like trees when I'm photographing landscapes, I'm often saying to people it's great to have, you know, two, two trees in the picture where you've got one which is I call the main actor and you've got the supporting actors in the background. So you build your shot around that because it's more interesting perhaps than just the one tree on its own. There you go. I like that. I like that a lot. The anticipate behaviour, I don't feel that we touched on enough, um, but that's for another time whereby you're actually, you know so much about that animal that you can anticipate its next move and therefore be prepared for that photo. There were times during the workshop where I was like, yep, I know what this bird's going to do. And, and that therefore allowed us to get that next photo as opposed to missing it altogether. But yep, we can talk no. about that another time. Oh, you're right. And if we finish this in four seconds, we've done our one out. No. Okay, see you. Bye. Uh, bye. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think that's really good. I think that's lots of great tips. I think that was worth the extra time we put into it. I think that people can, um, they won't look back and regret the last 15 minutes that we banged on. Maybe they the little 15 minutes. Through, there's probably, they yeah. get through 40 minutes of shit to get to yeah. the last. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what do they say? Nothing worth having is free or easy. Well, you've both free and easy, Matt. We know that. Hey, um, I will post that list on the Matt and Tom's excellent podcast Facebook group for those who uh, perhaps would like to review that. And, of course, as we've said already, if you're loving what we're talking about and you'd like to learn more, jump on to Matt's website or mine. I'm running several trips um, to Africa in the next few years and other wildlife workshops, including Costa Rica, which I'm – Totally excited to be going to in November next year. So love to catch up with you guys. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.